0: Hello, folks this is nathan from utility muffin labs thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcasts nerd words and 25 years of vampire the masquerade I wanted to take a couple of seconds to let you know about some of the ways we are trying to fund our podcasts. First, we have a GoFundMe so that we can replace our broken down old computer. Check it out at www.gofundme.com forward slash help dash keep dash the dash labs dash running or click the link on any of our recent podcasts on utilitymuffinlabs.com. Speaking of our website, you'll notice that we've added some Amazon and drive-through RPG banners to our site. In addition, our newest VTM25 posts will have links to purchase the books that we talk about. Using those banners and links to buy those books helps us tremendously give them a click and help us earn a little bit lastly we've recently set up a patreon page we've got a few rewards for our patrons so far and we plan to bring more as time goes on visit our website for the link or go directly to patreon.com forward slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade thank you for your continued support and let's get to the show Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective, presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another edition of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. As always, I'm Nathan.
1: And I'm Bob. Bob. (laughs) Bob.
0: (laughs) Welcome, Bob. Bob. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to do a review on the second edition, Chicago by Night, the revised edition. Two years have passed since the previous book's release, and a lot of things have changed in the Chicago by Night world. In the Vampire the Masquerade world, two years is a big deal. Before we do that, though, we're going to get started with some questions that we have from some of our listeners. Love it, love it. In a segment that we call Deep in the Warrens with Nate and Bob which is not at all cheesy it is totally it is serious it's meant to be taken that way so the first uh, question that we have is from chris uh gone g-a-w-n-e i apologize for mispronouncing your name
1: but anyways it's gone or gone
0: gone yeah i i sorry we we try we'll do our best we do what we can so anyways let's get on to your question we can stop butchering your name and making you feel bad uh, question is, I just found your series, and I am thoroughly enjoying this. I have been a long time vampire and World of Darkness fan, but I came in during the revised edition, so I never really got all that into the first and second editions. Sure, I read some of the city books and the hilariously gonzo Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand, which is easily at the top of my list of what I'm eagerly waiting for you to go to, to get to, but I never got into those editions as a whole. Thanks to your podcast, I've got a growing list of books that I've missed out on for far too long. Very awesome. Thank you. We appreciate it. Very much so. A quick question. Do you plan on covering the Dark Ages and Victorian lines as well? And what about Kindred of the East and Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom? So I can broach this topic. Please. And uh, we, who knows what the future holds? Uh, you know, I just want to preface my response with that. But the White Wolf game line has a pretty much unlimited resource. So in two years or whatever, when we get done with Vampire: The Masquerade, there is a whole host of other books, other game lines. There's werewolf. There's mage. There's
1: well, what he rec- what he just mentioned? That's mm-hmm. all vampire,
0: right? No, absolutely. And the thing is, like, yes, right now we're doing the modern day stuff. <laughs> And we intend to finish that. And then I assume after that, we're probably going to do Dark Ages.
1: Well, but, but to do a retrospective 25 years, it's all included. Right. If and, it has fangs and immortality.
0: Right. We, we, we definitely, to, to basically just lay it out on the line, we intend to go through all this stuff. Vampires first. That's our first love and what comes after that you know it may turn into 30 years of white wolf you know i mean uh, this is kind of an ever-changing sort of concept so
1: or separated by product but i don't know if we were the the thing is is that there's a lot that white wolf does and we're really digging the vampire portion and we i don't see any reason to stop i guess that's the honest answer yeah there's no reason to stop so yes we will be covering those those are kindred this is 25 years. They're part of that 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. So if they got fangs, part of the 25 years, it don't matter what era they're from. They're vampires. It's in the order they're released. We'll hit it. Yeah. We'll get to it.
0: At this point in time, it's really only feasible for, for us to do this once a week. So we basically have a podcast a week. The long-term goal is that maybe we do them two two a week, three a week. If we have demand, if we have fans that want to hear them, and we have time, which is the most important thing, we're going to, you know, amp it up. But as of right now, you know, we're looking at like 90 plus books just in the main vampire line. And at one a week, it's you know, probably going to be about a two year process. So we're, we're never going to run out of stuff basically at the end of the day. Second question from Magellan the Sage via Twitter. Uh, he thanks us for taking his last question. Here's his next one. He says, I'm running a dark ages. Uh, and the more I listen to your podcast, the more I realize canites are more of a rarity. That being said, what are some good ways to give mortal NPCs the upper hand against canites without making them hunters or relying on the True Faith ability?
1: Well, I would have to say that that's an interesting thing to address it real quick. That you, you're under the impression canines are a rarity. You're getting that more and more they are. Where I would say yes, but from what perspective are the players? If they're vampires, okay, uh, definitely in Dark Ages. Definitely remote, right? They could be in their own little world when it comes to that because they don't have cars, planes, or communication, mass communication like they do in modern at all. So, yeah, I would say that a vampire unto himself, a 12th-gen neonate, can be lord of his own demence if uh, no one else has gotten to him. And, you know, they build smart, I guess, is a way to say it. And I stress build because dark ages is a different animal, right? Yeah. You, you definitely have to build your own resources there you're in, cultivate your backgrounds, because you're basically... Whatever coterie you have, there of players, and I hope they're a coterie. I mean, they don't have to be. I guess they could war different lands and whatnot, but ideally they're a coterie, and in the little scenario I painted, they're going to have to tend to their flock. That alone comes with its own hazards, because it ties into this, right? I want you to imagine 12th Gen neone Bruja has a careful haven where he only has a straw hut and some stones on the side of a mountain to prevent sunlight from getting in. He's using, like, furs and some really luck, we'll just put it that way, <laughs> to stay hidden, and he's ghouled like one or two people that know what he is, and those two people have to go around to the rest of the village and be like, hey, how's everyone doing? Don't ever go in that hut during the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's its own danger, because what happens if uh, happenstance right, plays a lot into this? While you're asleep, uh, one, of the, um, one of the sheep's sons... <laughs> Shepherd's sons decides that he's gonna go have a go with the uh, the seamstress who's been spinning clothing or whatever, and the two meet match made in heaven, and uh, they decide they're gonna go to the hut that no one's ever supposed to go in during the day to knock boots. There's a corpse lying under the <laughs> lying right. under the fur they were about to do it with. That's a problem for a Kindred. Um, the fact of the reaction of the town once he's discovered. You know, has an issue into it. And if all that's done while he sleeps or she sleeps, eh, they may burn him. They may do something with him because Dark Ages also has folklore and they may not even think that that's a vampire. They just might think he's a, like a zombie or a dead thing or a returned ancestor or um, bad magic, juju, whatever you want to say. Right. Those superstitions can get you killed. So it's a very dangerous element in a day-to-day event. But your specifics, normal people, day-to-day life can kill you as a vampire if you're not careful daylight is your bane other aspect the one way to get back at people let's say you're in a different scenario lord of the castle of the demence and whatever and your haven's not going to be in a castle i don't know if you've noticed but when you look at a castle there's a lot of people that are all around that castle at any given time because they want to be in safe cool posh surroundings as well that being the case well let's say it gets raided during the day Right, and you decided the one place you're gonna hold up in was that secret wall you built, and oh shit, raiders like to burn things. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. Stone doesn't burn. But there's a lot of furnishings that do, and everything you know about is being burnt on the other side of the wall. Everything is going up in flames. Well, even if even if uh,
0: your stone walls don't burn, things get hot right temperature plays a factor you know you burst into flames
1: you can still roshrek. you can wake up and there's awakening rolls right for vampire and of course there is and during the day that's a danger you know you roll your perception they make it he's up for a second what if he frenzies when he wakes up that beast doesn't just pass out you're it's or it's roshrek. oh you're in a wall Oh, the invaders here there's someone freaking out in the wall There's something monstrous well that could turn bad right you know,
0: I, I think that uh, the the most important statement here is that if you're talking like a one-on-one fight, nine times out of ten, fisticuffs is not going to go well for a normal human being. the The advantage that human beings have over vampires is their unpredictability. They can go out whenever they want, and there's a lot of them, and that 's something to keep in mind if, if you 're one of your char- one of your players is playing a character who 's this marauder who runs around and just you know murders people willy nilly and is enslaving the countryside well eventually those people are going to mount up and they 're going to find that individual and they 're going to do something about it
1: and let 's get technical on you if you want to go by rules, think about it mob combat in tabletops no joke if a mob of mortals a mob of farmers wants to kill the brew <laughs> hot prince it's gonna happen regardless of celerity and potence because a mob is meaning ten or more right really five or more if you want to get really yeah. at it and they got pitchforks and granted that's lethal sort of eh, not any, any so much one on one maybe not even a group of five of them but do, do the math that group provides a difficulty of plus one after the first up to a max of ten and then the storytellers behoove to go multiples of ten I never do because that's sort of a dick move but to sit there and tell him, it's a mob you want to fight, unscathed. Well, that's diff 10 to you, mob of five. Now, mm-hmm. let's, let's roll that out. On sheer numbers, he may hit one and they're dead. But that player should quickly realize the damage he's sustaining is going to mount up. right? Because he just can't hit them, or he just can't get out of the way, I should say. Um, or do it just with the simple dark ages way. If the town rises up and there's like more than a, you should never tell a player exactly what they're facing unless it's something they glance at and do it because you should be getting into the emotions of the situation, right? As their character sees it to me, if you, if I woke up and you're burning my house down and I go to rush outside and there's people just in disarray, throwing my shit around, looting my shit. There's some that got weapons, some don't, but there's a group staring at me and are coming in my direction. I didn't stop to count how many. Right. I knew it was time to flee, fight and flee. It doesn't matter how badass I am. And if you have a player who decides they're going to go the role of the badass, look into those group rules. You're going to learn that in Dark Ages, it's just brass tacks. It's literally just, well, what did you intend to do? Count your dots. Well, that's how much damage you do this round. Wait a minute. I didn't get to roll? Nah, man. You got hot hands in the dice game, but basically, you're fighting an army. Eventually, you lose. Right. There's, you don't win that. Well, how do Methuselahs get stopped by armies? They don't, because they're not in a field fighting armies. Right. Even if they were, they fight to leave. They don't fight to win.
0: Right. That's why they influence large swaths of individuals. That really, what it comes down to is it's, it's all about your story and the story you're trying to tell. But just look at the very basic concepts of Vampire the Masquerade, of why there is a masquerade. Why there's a masquerade is because of the Dark Ages. Uh, emphatically large quantities of people with pitchforks and, and torches don't do well for vampires.
1: At all. At all. Imagine, and they, and they beautifully point this out in the Dark Ages. You know that cool scene in 300 where he's like then we'll blot out the sun and they shoot all the marrows, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the Spartans are like, we'll hold up shields and blah blah blah. Yeah, they were during the day and they were an army that had shields. <laughs> Nine times of ten you're a vampire without that shield and do you know what a block out the sun arrow shower does for vampire it stakes you and leaves you around for the day and your only hope is that a lot of dudes died on top of you because you couldn't move that's very
0: true it's a very different concept so
1: you're a malkavian nate galloping to deliver a message yep and in the middle of the night your horse breaks his leg Mm -hmm. and you're in the sahara fucking desert yeah point a to point b you're going from one souk to another you can deliver that message
0: uh yeah probably not
1: right your horse is down you gotta walk it i guess you're hoping for a cave or really big success i'm I'm hoping that i can i hope
0: i'm hoping that i can drag that horse long enough to get a little bit closer and then maybe drink some terrible horse blood and then hopefully dig my ass way down deep into the sand and hope hope (laughs) that i'm underneath that horse corpse and no one finds it
1: that that centuries later (laughs) someone builds a 7-eleven on top of (laughs) it. (laughs) right (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing good coming of that. It's uh, very much skin of your teeth. <laughs> but also, uh, I beg the question, why was I riding through the desert alone at night? <laughs> <laughs> On a nag dive. It's fair that you used Malkavian. That would seem like a very crazy thing to do. That, yes, indeed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hopefully we answered your question. Hopefully that uh, uh, makes some sense to you. So we're going to move right along into Chicago by Night, second edition.
1: Dum-dum-dum.
0: And uh, for those of you who are familiar with this podcast, this uh, we did this book very early on because this is one of the first books after the main book that was released. This is like the first city source book for the game. And a lot of things have changed. As I said before, a lot of things have changed. And to really get the full effect of the transition from first edition to second edition – it would probably be a really good idea to invest a little uh, money into Under a Blood Red Moon. Because that's going to tell you basically all the, sh- the shit that happened in between the first and the second. It's going to be there in that
1: book. And it's important to know Blood Red Moon is actually labeled a werewolf supplement as well. Yeah. And actually looking at the book again, because we looked at that too this week, reading it again. It's definitely built from a werewolf's perspective. Right. They're it, the heroes of that tale. It, it
0: is definitely, it's a werewolf book. That crosses over with Vampire the Masquerade, and it gives you an understanding of both the Camarilla and the Sabbat. But mostly, it focuses on Werewolf the Ma- uh, Werewolf the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Pardon my error there. Uh, but actually, this is kind of cool too. You can pick these books up together. They have a, a like a reprint. Where "Under a Blood Red Moon" and "Chicago by Night" are printed together.
1: Is it "Chicago Chronicles" Volume Two? I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You should
0: have the book over there. We actually yeah, yeah, have. Yeah, uh, yeah, we actually have a couple of paper copies of this book.
1: See how good my memory was. Volume Two.
0: Yeah. So "Chicago Chronicles" Volume Two will combine "Under a Blood, Re- Blood Red Moon" and "Chicago by Night" Second Edition. Could have been a doctor. So definitely could have. Could have, could have been a brain surgeon. Uh, that could have been. Uh, but definitely pick that up if you want to read both of them. Otherwise, the Chicago by Night book you can pick up on its own. It is a beautiful, lovely 200-page book. And it starts out by telling us that um, within a matter of months, the events from Under a Blood Red Moon have occurred.
1: Quick review of the first podcast. That is more than worth listening to with Chicago by Night. The first one, but Loden was raining. Yep. You had a whole city under a bit of tension typical politics, right? He's in charge, some people want him to be blah 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 blah. Clans are being clans. Yeah, it gives you it, it gives you an
0: indication of like typical vampire politics for you know people that are new to the game, that Chicago by night book is imperative because it shows you that deep sort of intricacy of the politics of all the little things going on under the surface they talk about it like it's a it's a a lining of scum on the top of the water and only very rarely does something bubble to the surface past that lining of scum well with this one shit has hit the fan
1: it shows you why all that tension was there uh because remember Loden was heading off against the anarchs big axe to grind against the anarchs also had a problem with the lupines that we'll call it should have paid more attention. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, in addition, he had uh, the Bruja just overall. Got to remember, Maxwell is who he ran out of the city but didn't kill. And he's right. out there somewhere. And at the same time, Loden made it his personal decision to destroy Prince Modius of Gary. Right. To financially crush a city to get at the vampires there. in.
0: Now, from the perspective of a ventru, Loden is awesome. It- Iron grip on his domain. His word is law. He does what he wants, and he maintains, until the werewolves and the Sabbat come in, and they um, simultaneously—I use a term I like to use in situations like this—they fuck shit up. It's it's a good term. That that is what they pardon our French. We like to be you know free of uh, vulgarity as much as possible. But I don't think that uh, I don't think this is that time.
1: The way it was written, you got to remember the Sabbat have no idea about the lupines either. Vampirically speaking. The lupines are in the city, always have been, mm-hmm. and they were just called like the, the outlands, the badlands. Don't go there. Lupines will screw you up. It's happened before. Right. Just learn. You're kindred. No better. Stay away. Well, what happens when those lupines go, we're a lot more than you thought, right. and we, we invited family? Well, that's kind of what happens. The whole city is blitzkrieged by the lupines to the reasons these vampires have no idea about. right? Well, at that same time, Sabat are not new to battling lupines. And they ramp up what they were trying to do anyway. Yeah. And they launch their plan at the same time.
0: And uh, they we, we'll find out later some people that are integral to the operation that happened in Chicago. But needless to say, there's a lot of things that happened behind the scenes, a lot of black hand uh, uh, intervention and things of that nature. And uh, some of those characters we'll come to find and, and know in other books down the road. But uh, for tonight... The only Sabbat we're going to talk about are the Sabbat that are in this book. And there are some new ones that that have arrived. But uh, not to jump ahead, essentially where we stand in 1993 is that Loden, the prince, he's dead, deceased, gone. And the Primogen Council exists in a state of turmoil because where they didn't trust each other before... Now we have a situation where there's a couple of people on that primogen council, a couple of uh, key kindred that hopped up and they just happened to not be in the city when all this stuff went down. Pretty convenient. Right. And now they seem to be back. So it's like, did they know? Did they have advance warning? What was uh, was their knowledge of it? So all of these individuals, all these key power players, they don't trust each other. And the way that they describe it in this book is that everybody that lives in the city they feel like something happened. <laughs> they don't really know what, but something's changed. Something is different. Something will never be the same here. And along with that, you have your 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 monster hunters, for lack of a better term, your Arcanum, your Society of Leopold, your FBI. And they all feel like something happened too. When you take a, Central figure like Loden, who has his hands in literally every type of pie that you could have.
1: Primarily, what was his own that you were not even allowed to touch? As he counted that as a breach of domain. Right, which he did uh, punishable by death. Right, he had the police. He had the media. Right, those are the two that were his alone.
0: Not only that, but he had uh, sort of an iron grip on his chilled uh, his his childer or childer, depending right. on your pronunciation. He had an ironclad grip on them, and each one of those individuals held something undeniably. You have Capone, who is essentially the lord of the underworld. You have... Uncontested. Right. You have um,
1: uh, Jackson. Um, Kevin Jackson. Sorry. No problem. Brain Kevin fart. Jackson. He's the king of, streets, king right. of the streets. Right.
0: You have Kevin Jackson, king of the streets. You You have all of these individuals... These second generation, not second generation, but, but his children and then their children. So he has this pyramid structure of power throughout the city where you can you can grab at things as long as he doesn't find out. But you're never going to get a foothold.
1: And understand how Loden did things as well. When Loden had that big union uprising that the mortals had in the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. he quelled that. That was bruja influence, as it was, as White Wolf wrote it. They were having an uprising in Bruja were there. Right doing what Bruja do. They're drawn to that, right? right. The Bruja tried to make a turmoil of the politics then, too. The only thing Loden could do that made sense to him was to pull this Tarnopolowski guy mm-hmm. and make sure that he was in pocket, that he influenced what this dude did. And he had him made. Now, he didn't make him himself, but he made damn sure who that guy worked for. Right. And In, a, in, a, in, a, in an influential sort of way. Like, it's okay that he was made, but whatever you gotta do, right, calm it down.
0: So, we, we're dealing with the loss of this key figurehead of this king of Chicago, essentially, and the vacuum that that creates. So now you have a host of powerful kindred who they want that position. All of them want that position by their own merits, but by their own merits is a very vague scenario when you're going to have to get in somebody's pocket. You're going to have to find support of the elders who can ensure that you can reign. And so you have this, this group of, of key individuals who are vying to fill that void, but then you have the death of a number of different kindred that also held key positions, and now you have an influx of kindred who have come to fill those voids. And so it's a, it's a very delicate situation with a whole lot of distrust.
1: And where that sounds like the city's in disarray, it's not. And to make that make sense, after what we just said, you had to hear it that way because that's the perception. The perception's always supposed to be, oh, no, no, Prince, we're in chaos. That's, that's just how the Camarilla likes it, right? You should always feel there should be a figurehead. Well, the Primogen Council are fine right? with there being no figurehead. Surprisingly, no
0: losses there during this, uh, this huge right. battle.
1: None of the Primogen lost a thing. Nope. And so you have a lot of people in the city who get that. These are your mainstayers who are waiting for Loden to vacate the role. Right. And the Primogen, were looking to see who they influence next. Now, the Primogen have held down the city. That's why it's still Camarilla. The Sabbat failed in their coup to eliminate the Camarilla. The Lupines, even there, only succeeded at killing, strangely, those people that weaken rivals. Right. Those people who were, for some reason, left out in the open when um, they attacked without warning, right? Allegedly. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's how it is. Um, but let's, let's look at one example. Bruja, uh, Tyler. Right. Good old Patricia Bolingbroke, right? She gets O'Hare Airport. She had it before. She doesn't lose it. But she should be a shoe-in for Prince. Absolutely. Right. Why not? Oh, absolutely. Why wouldn't she step up? Well, how about she owns O'Hare Airport? <laughs> what does she need to step up? It's an international hub of trade. Point is, is that with her controlling the O'Hare Airport, she controls transportation. She actually controls quite a bit with that alone. I mean, you control the influx of of blood, right? Well, if Chicago doesn't have O'Hare, right? We're back to the rail system. But even beyond that, if you
0: stop an airline and you halt transportation, you are bankrupting companies overnight. Oh, sure. That's just no bullshit about it, whether it's your own or, you know, Man, that, uh, that that executive really needs to get to New York tonight. He's really got to file that what-have-you. He's really got to make that meeting. Now uh, your plane got diverted.
1: And let's think of the asset she has. She has an army. Yeah, absolutely. She easily has an army that leads to police influence. Right. O'Hare has its own police force. Right. Those people who are assigned to the airport. Right. Aviation.
0: Aviation, police, Yeah.
1: And uh, it's not just aviation. They also have police officers who take a second job to run security at the airport. Right. And exclusively, though. Right. Like they come from precincts to serve here. But
0: also remember the time we're in. This is a pre video camera, pre everything's on the Internet. This is a pre Internet era. So that makes her even more powerful because there's a whole lot less checks and balances there. With the way the technology's grown nowadays, yeah, it's a, it requires a little bit more panache for an elder to exert their influence, you know, in a place like that.
1: And what We're saying yes, they still had video cameras right we but, were not back to just like right
0: it's not it's not candlelight vigil right, right.
1: <laughs> they still had video cameras and whatnot running at the airport but they were not as sophisticated nowhere near as sophisticated
0: not everyone had there. one in their pocket
1: but imagine tyler still reigns as primogen like if we update this material mm-hmm. there's no reason these primogen have to fall they're vampires
0: no they probably never will
1: right and we're, we're talking that's still locked down but just for the moment we can go on about o'hara airport alone yeah That's what she has, and she controls what goods you get. She controls what things you're smuggling in. She controls what you're trying to leave. Right. So, in other words. Very importantly, who gets out. If a prince wanted to shut down you leaving on a blood hunt, she's first call. Right. Right? That's just how it has to be. And she knows it. So she'd take the prince then. Hmm. I could say why. Easily enough, she didn't need to. Right. She's she's forever a power player. Uh, You have Nikolai, Lord Nikolai, Primogen of Clan Tremere. You may be wondering what he controls, and under his own right, not a goddamn thing mortal. (laughs) He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Uh, Nikolai is there to handle all the strange that goes on in the world of darkness. Uh, To his credit, the Shamir clan does dabble. They have a hand or two in influence, you know, fingers and pies in different areas, but as a clan. Clan Shamir is ran as a unit, and Nikolai sits as the head. When they form their occult Voltron, it is on, right? They will succeed at whatever they put themselves right. toward. But the Clan Tremere is hit with a lot of unique twists. There's some strangeness with the lupines. They were tasked with figuring out what that could or might be. And Nikolai really didn't. Sure, he did. We're all <laughs> certain he bent all efforts to go look at uh, yeah. nine and a half foot tall death machines. Yes. Um. But that's what we told the prince.
0: Well, and you know we can take a look and we can see like well you know what were the Tremere losses in this giant battle. And um you know, it looks like Garwood Marshall died. Wow. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a terrible tragedy that Garwood Marshall died.
1: What you which you mean is the wheat was cut for the shaft? Right. That, right. Oh, and, okay. and
0: and to, to just put it out there, most likely, he was sent out to his death.
1: He had to earn Look right. at the Schmier hierarchy structure. Uh was it he had his uh Dusable. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, Nikolai's chill. Dusabo is a fantastic guy. He right. was jumped by werewolves, lost an arm. Right. Terrible. But he was also saved. Right. By who?
0: By his sire. There
1: you go. Right. And Nikolai. And what was Nikolai doing? Well, it seems Dusable was coming along, an up-and-comer in terms of, well, Tremere thaumaturgy. And increasing his rank and jogging for position, he was about ready to move up, maybe even challenge his sire right. for control of the chantry. But, oh, gosh darn it. We got hit by lupines, and strangely, oh, there he was, and, and, vulnerable in the club.
0: You know, between then and now, uh, the Tremere gained a gargoyle. So, you know, is it a loss? I think it's a...
1: Good old Osatha comes in to save the day. Right, right.
0: I think it's. I think it's probably a, a net zero, you know? It's
1: a net zero. We didn't lose anything. But when I'm, when I'm hammering out, there was politics he was even right. doing. Oh, you're about to move up to challenge me? Oh, you lost an arm to a werewolf, and who saved you? Welcome back to servitude right. You ain't challenging shit. Right. And he cements what he is. And you got to remember, Nikolai invented a very important shmir ritual that's Pavis of the Foul Presence. And he creates this, oh, that and Innocence of a Child's Heart. Those are the two gimmies, right? I think uh, Innocence of a Child's Heart is the one that he more infamously was known for, but they both control uh, not being influenced by Presence, and one is to overcome... Instance of the child. Start help me out here. That one did.
0: I believe that that one. It's kind of like the opposite. It's it's the,
1: it's the aura, right? It's a, it's hiding. like
0: it's like a, It gives you an aura of, uh, of innocence. Like I would blame right. stuff on you, but
1: right. I, I'm almost positive that what it does is allows you to mask your aura to seem
0: normal it's been a while since I've read it we'll get back to that and we'll get back to you
1: but regardless those are the two rituals that were accredited him uh through through the print anyway as it comes out of Chicago that's the mover and shakers they think of those two things and that comes from uh from a Nikolai's mind and he's truly a mastermind when you think about it he cements it with his, his army of occultists right and he's has time to create one this one ritual that allows him to ignore and overcome his peers attempts at emotional control via presence yeah what do you think they were going for? To me, he was making a pull for Princeton. Right. I think that's what he was going for. That's what he was going to do. But he wasn't going to take it himself. Oh no! I think he was going to plant a child there, and now he's in a position to do that with Dusable. He's one armed, but humility. Um, but I think the primogen know that that would be a puppet prince in favor of Nikolai, and so that being a peer, it's a, it's locked. Right. right. They're not. There's no way they let that bump up. This transitions to Khalid. Khalid controls the information in the city. This is Khalid, the almost inhumane. <laughs> right. In public, very humane. Khalid, the struggling to maintain. Right. Has his shit together. But to those with a discerning eye, no, he doesn't. And they're wondering when he's going to be gone, when he's going to lose it. Right. And Khaled, because uh, we talked about him before, we did a breakdown yeah. on everybody. So please, I hope we're not losing too many of you. And the other podcast definitely leads into this one. But Khalid is fantastic. Uh, Because he is able to hold on to who he was to politic. And his only concern is Nosferatu and their well-being. But what you don't know, what Khaled isn't even aware of, is that while he's up there being quote-unquote primogen, what are they doing? You have someone like uh, Nathaniel Bordroff, who decides that, oh, look, Loden's gone. It's my time to make a move. And I hate every vampire (laughs) in the world. And nothing would have brought me pleasure than to have killed Loden myself. But since that son of a bitch is gone... And I want Kyle to be dead too, uh, but I right. need Kala.
0: We we get we get Nathaniel Bordroff and Calhoun. They're actually two characters that are new to this book. They were not in the previous edition. Right. Both of them are well worth the read.
1: So Nathaniel Bordroff, we talked about on, on previous Nerdborns as well. Uh, that we did with the Nosferatu, but uh, I thought it was with the Nosferatu.
0: Yeah, we talked about it in the Nosferatu clan one. Okay. The the after party, yeah, if you will. The after
1: party, yes. Uh, but Nathaniel Borgioff is a good guy. He's a vampire hunter embraced. Right. Just to give you the short version, so you're on the same page here. And he he wanted them dead. When he got wind that trouble was coming, he left and came back when it was over. That's the Nosferatu. They all kind of got word and went to ground, and that's what Nas do. As it's said, when uh, the shahad's afoot, the first to disappear in the Nosferatu, that's your warning. That you should probably get out of town. He obeyed that. But when he comes back, he decides that he's going to butter up the elders. He makes his rounds. He's going around trying to make it seem as if he would be a great candidate for prince. At the same time, the other one, um, I don't know why I'm failing it here. Oh, Kedrick Calhoun. Kedrick Calhoun also detests Kindred as a whole. And he himself, is, does, he's done a terrible tragedy. Before, I kind of told everybody, just "Ah, put him to the side, whatever, uh, in a quick story about uh, what I did in a different plot. But in canon, Kedrick Calhoun um, was made a vampire because he's from a powerful family in Chicago. The Calhouns uh, have leagues of influence and money. They know nothing but. And he was supposed to be in line by dint of birth, the older brother of his political mind and younger brother. He should have inherited everything. However, politics being what they may for that family, he was born with a cleft lip. And a uh, malformed arm. And so they sent him off to be raised in his education in Colorado. Sort of a hidden ranch where right. the family could pay lots of money for him to be comfortable.
0: Because back then they didn't take care of you. They just sent you somewhere
1: else. The family didn't acknowledge that problem. Unbeknownst to him, they were priming his younger brother to take everything. So he goes to Colorado, runs a afoul of a Malkaven who was in the sanitarium, because that's also where you went uh, to watch, the, watch uh, his development. He planned an escape. Calhoun was very intelligent and definitely didn't want to be there and was angry that he was put there. And he spent a year or two learning the way of the land and then built his supplies and then makes his escape. He gets run down by a Malkavian. And this Malkavian is terrible at running through the woods to catch him. Mm -hmm. It's Colorado. It's night. He's hauling ass. And immediately this guy knows he's being chased. Calhoun does. So he lays a uh, snare trap. Doubles back, lays a snare trap, continues running. And he sees the trap go taut. Something's being held in the air. He could tell because it's weighted down, but he can't see it. Mm-hmm. And then this terrible, horrible monster's laughing in the forest line right near there, and he looks and it's it's a Nosferatu. But to him, it's a monster, and the monster's right. laughing, and he can hear something swearing. He can't he doesn't know where it's coming from. It's the guy who's obfuscated trapped in the snare. Right. That guy's swearing his head off, and that's the Malkavian. Meanwhile, you got a Nosferatu visible who's horrendous. Laughing his ass off, and Calhoun's mind kind of kind of goes for a minute, right? And he's just laughing too. And then, I don't know where the line snaps, and then thing goes to dive on the Malk goes to dive on uh, Calhoun, and the Nosferatu dives in the Malk. They fight. Nosferatu tears the throat out of the Malkavian and comes back to talk to him and says, "Hey, come with me to my cave so we can have a chat." <laughs> That's how he was embraced, right? And, right? <laughs> and when he's embraced too fashion, you got a cleft lip, big deal, look at me. You got right. a malformed limb, big deal, look at me, right? They learn they have a lot in common, learn what his family is. He's like, you know what? I got to go take care of it. Cyrus says, go for it. Right. Um, but first, help me with something. Mm-hmm. And what you don't know about this guy, which I forgot about, Calhoun was a diabolist. Yeah. Straight up, I'd forgot about it. His sire was a diabber. So they were hunting that Malkavian specifically so his sire can diab him. And he decides he wants to diob other elders and wants his chill to help him. So that becomes a very, wow. Yeah, that's a
0: weird uh, relationship.
1: That's a twist, right? So right. I start laughing about this because this goes further, right? He gets back home because as, as happens, I want you to imagine that dynamic duo. They run across a gangrel archon. And White Wolf, early on, right here in print, writes up, you know what an archon is? When it's a gangrel, it's what kills you. (laughs) Because as they wrote it, it shredded his sire and almost killed him. Right. Like, he didn't kill it, he survived it. Right. Well,
0: if you're curious, we've got three gangrel uh, archons in this book, so.
1: (laughs) So, old boy runs, and he gets back, and he sees his younger brother. Right. He goes to spy on him, because he decides, what's my family been up to? And he becomes enraged. This brother has this beautiful family, this beautiful house, this political position. And he gained it all from a just moving oration his brother put on, the eulogy, for his funeral they had for him when they assumed he died because he's been missing. Right. He frenzies... Barely gets it under control to grab his brother and force his brother to give him all the bonds he has, all the accounts turned over in his name, all the wealth his family has that had given him. that comes to him now immediately, right. and then he kills him. He just drains him dead, throws him on the ground. All these kids are terrified running over the house. He doesn't care. He just let them be where they're at. And he goes and he grabs his brother's diary, and then he reads it, and that's when tragedy hits. He reads that his brother was broken up when he got stolen and forced to go to Colorado, had been kind of going to bat for him with the family as much as he could, and just in his diary, did everything he could to take care of his family and his children in honor of his brother, i.e., what his brother said at the eulogy was 100% correct, and it pained him that he had lost Calhoun. Right. That's the turning point. This breaks Calhoun. Now, why it's important is because the Lance Korean system, why does he want to run for prison? It's in his background. At the end of it, he realizes the evil all vampires do, especially in the city of Chicago, especially across the Midwest from Chicago, and the only way to stop it, hey, if I'm Prince, none of you can do that. And so he's trying for prince them. I also said that because, my aunt, eh, we'll say that for a different podcast. So um, that's the case in Nos Fracta. They have two right. candidates jumping up who have wherewithal to do it. Um, one with more baggage than the other, and Khaled, ignorant to any of it. Just he's a permogen doing his thing. Annabelle. Annabelle uh, Tribel, so you pronounce her last uh, name? Tribel. We've been uh, saying yeah. Tribel. No, it's not. I, but I'm yeah, not French. Uh,
0: exactly. That, we're going to brutalize that, but uh, uh, but we'll uh, just
1: call her Annabelle. And uh, Annabelle is uh, is adorable. She is literally the cat's meow. When you think of eyes wide shut, that was a Tuesday night for Annabelle at her at her estate, right? And she's known for this. And as a primogen, she's flaunting the fact that powerful mortals, the rich, the literal one percent of the city of Chicago, come to her to be allowed the privilege of having a party at her place where they can be themselves and thoroughly enjoy themselves. And she garners influence with a rake. It's really simple for her. She doesn't even mean to do it. She just, it's the way she is. It's how she lives her life. And all the torridor, every vampire knows that going to one of her parties is decadent. She tries to outdo herself every single soiree and every salon she hosts. And because she doesn't want to be bored, uh, she's, she's essentially the dilettante dilettante. And uh, that's that's that. Yep. the backside is to who Annabelle really is.
0: Well, Annabelle is Annabelle, um, but uh, she's sort of a like recent uh, riser to the top because uh, Maria was the sort of the go-to. Um, but all of these, all of these torridor in the city are in some way, shape, or form beholden to a fourth-generation Methuselah that has decided to become active and create a new identity.
1: It kind of seems crazy, though, right? Right. Because we're just like, hey, it's a Methuselah, and you mention these people, they pale in it, but these people are powerful into their own right. Right. And so Annabelle, you gotta understand, wasn't able to come into her own with her sire being alive. Right. Her sire was also Methuselah, by the way, Methuselah that uh, Helen of Troy... uh, Or as we call her now, Portia. Yeah, she's hiding as Portia. But uh, the point is, this Methuselah is Methuselah's thirst. Now, Helen of Troy and Manel, the Bruja, they are rivals since Carthage. Okay? I gotta say that again. When Carthage was it, the right. cultural center of the world, the Bruja ran that show. Mm-hmm. And the Torter were in bed with them. However, something happened. That something in print is that Helen of Troy here, Helena here, uh, ran with her ghoul Prince Port, or prince Pri- uh, prince Prius. And they betrayed Carthage to the Romans. Right. She knew early on, have all the vampires you like. That's nothing compared to the mortal armies. She understood this. I think every vampire elder got this except Carthage. Carthage thought that because we're the Bruja and we're powerful, there's no way these mortals would stop us because all these mortals love us. And that's what's going on. You know what Rome said? Rome said the same thing Rome said to everyone known. If you are not Roman, then you serve. It's that simple. And they conquested, and they came over, and Carthage got bent over, so to speak, historically and in other ways. And that was that. They got stomped on. And what happens from there is that she is supposed to be the one who led uh, to Carthage's demise. She gave the Venture what they needed to topple Carthage. And Manel was the one that survived. He's the brewer that didn't get cacked. And so they've been rivals ever since, because Manel shattered her home when she ran to Pompeii. Pardon me. And uh she's been looking to get back at him over the like over three thousand years.
0: It's ridiculous. We're you know, and like that doesn't even get into like uh um what is her name?
1: Uh Aletria?
0: No, yeah, yeah. That's that's who I was thinking of. Elytria, you know, like she was embraced in eighty six BC.
1: And she's a Spartan.
0: Right. So so you I mean you have you have Torador here that are thousands of years old. You have an ancient torador who she woke up and she was like, "I'm hungry. I think I'll eat Maria," and that's that's what she did. Right. And their their influence is ridiculous. Like they, they've been in this region for a couple of hundred years.
1: Yeah, in Torport, but they but, they're, but they're either way, right,
0: there. right. So, you know, and but now she's like, oh, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm Helena. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna pretend to be a neonate." Okay. All
1: right, And it wasn't just assumptive, she, why'd she come here? The whole reason she came to the New World when she had all the power in Europe mm-hmm. is because she's tracking Manel. Manel mm-hmm. just wanted to be left alone. That's what it came down to. He wanted a civilization that could be his and he wanted to try to recapture Carthage. And she's been hounding him. right? Uh, to, and you have to know that to give credences where'd Chicago come from? White Wolf wrote it out for you. Chicago wouldn't be Chicago if it weren't for the vampires in it. right? And mainly her and Manel. Their influence, their warring did this. When Manel came over here, he embedded in with the Incas. However, she came over to the Spanish Conquistadors and thought the Mayans were where he went. So she worked with them to destroy the Mayans. They weren't there. Then she then I think the reconquistor whoever, came over and they wiped out the Incas. And once that was done, uh, Manel ran again. Mm-hmm. And he comes over to where? Fort Dearborn. He goes to Chief Blackhawk. And Chief Blackhawk over here near Fort Dearborn, well, the American colonists aren't doing good with the natives at this time. And here we got this fort. She decides, well, if he's here, I'm here. And this time, Manel goes to blows. He finally meets her in open conflict. They beat the shit of each other to where they both have to go into Torpor again. And she's saved by her ghoul. And then, but this is important because for Dearborn, she gets buried in. Right. So she's Torpor underneath it. Prius is just watching over, or near there, I should say. And then the worm turns. We're less about war all of a sudden. As time goes on, she's in torpor. We're more about the, the typical mortal everyday life and the influx of them coming in. So this after all the mortal wars and everything else, and we're now becoming modernized industrial and all that. Then, as it's becoming Chicago, and that's how her mind is. She's waking up in dreamlike states, testing right. it. And she tells poor, poor old Price, hey, by the way, when I wake up, I want to be entertained. Prepare for my coming. And Price is like, oh, well, I guess I better. And he builds the Succubus Club right on top of her torpid place. Why? When a Methuselah wakes up that spans thousands of years, she needs a reeducation. Yeah, She needs somewhere yeah. where she could be discreet. To say the least. And that's why she has a bill. But she also does another thing. She pulls in Like, Ele- Yeah, Elytria Electra. I always mess that up. It's Elytria. Elytria yeah. comes from Mexico City. She is known in the Camarilla as being an elder who has single-handedly been warring uh, with the Sabbat in the heart of their territory for for years, for centuries, and she comes with that rep. But when her sire calls her to her side, he she treats her. You're just here to protect me. Yeah, she. Uh, it's 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 a very interesting
0: dichotomy when you have someone as powerful and as ancient as Elytria who. I mean two thousand years it doesn 't matter if you did nothing you're you 're going to be a powerful vampire it 's just that 's the way it is. but to see this character with two thousand plus years of experience under her belt sort of hovering around this even more powerful you know like a like a toady like a shadow, like someone who like oh it's my it 's my older brother or you know my older sister right. like i, I don 't want to embarrass myself i don 't want to misstep you know I want to be there in case they need me. You're 2000 years old. Like it never goes away because no matter how old or how powerful you are, there's something even worse out there always.
1: And the understanding behind that too, is you got to remember, Elytra isn't happy that she has to come to her sire, No, but she knows who her sire is. And remember, Helena made some very, very powerful people. One can argue there was no Sabbat if it wasn't for her. Because number one in her list of children, the most famous is Melinda Gilbreth, who sits as regent of the Sabbat in this era at this time.
0: Yeah. It's uh it, one thing that you'll notice looking through these early books, uh Menelaus or menele uh Helena, these two individuals, these were like their linchpins. And you can see like actual paths that lead back to all of them throughout all the main characters in these books.
1: For certain.
0: Yeah, so it, it's, that's the one thing that's important to remember is that in this book, these two ancients still war. And Loden, all this stuff,
1: you could say, yeah, it might be a casualty of those wars. He is a casualty because it says flat out it tells you flat mm-hmm. out he is. And it tells you because Loden was controlled by Helena and Menel clipped it. Mm-hmm. He clipped it. Because the Lupines were influenced by Menelaus, uh, whether he realized it or not, by what he did for the natives, what he tried to do for the natives. And the natives taking the atrocity that we handed them historically, vampires were in there doing the same thing. And even the werewolves have their own history in this region yep. as to what went on. This, this only leads centuries down the, road, down the road to being a shot to wipe out whatever stable structure was going on right. over here. And also remember, um, well, remember, you may not know this, but Elytria and uh, Helen were the reasons why Loden got embraced in the first place, on hand. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to him when he was a commander in the army. And that's just how it went. Uh, there's lofty rumors that Loden was some awesome Austrian noble who kind of lorded his way into Fort Dearborn and said, here I make city. But his name's Rolfolf. That's that guy. And he's in where? Milwaukee. That's where he goes. So we don't, we don't worry about that. Don't get that confused. But most importantly here is that that's really the Bruja on the Torter Methuselah's warring is the whole entire reason for this city's problems their upheaval, as it were. And White Wolf did this, especially in the, in the second gen uh, revise for you to see, man, just how problematic the jihad is. Yeah. These two alone, and no one knows why they're warring, save that Menelaus is, uh, well, how do I put this? Menelaus originally hated her and they had a fight, but yeah. then he fled. he went continents away. Continents <laughs> that you shouldn't be able to track him. She had a, She wanted him found. Right. And she didn't hate him, she, in her own paranoia, her fear that he was out to get her, decided to be more proactive. And I'm going to get him first. If you can imagine that, like, oh my God, I can't think, that's like beyond vindictive. Yeah, definitely.
0: So I need to take a little bit of a break. righty. So we kind of have an understanding now of what the city looks like after that two years. But at the same time, what of this book is the same? It's gonna be some things that aren't changed. Geography-wise, you're gonna be pretty much where you were two years ago. Some buildings have changed, some things have changed. And obviously, if you're gonna use this for your own game, you're you're gonna modernize it. You're gonna wanna look up, okay, what's changed to this point? But as far as the locations are concerned, they're pretty much the same, so that that's not much of a uh, of a difference from the from the first edition uh, of the book the one thing to note though the laws of Elysium loden's laws of Elysium those have stayed those have been kept just because Loden is gone doesn't mean his laws have changed because the elders of the city well, they all like those laws those laws keep them safe
1: the Cameron adopted those laws right that's what it comes down to right
0: and that's that's the the thing of note um they actually will will tell you. They, they have a little chart here that tells you the the rules of Elysium. This is going to be a book. Like this is a thing that's going to evolve. But this is where we get that that idea of what it's like to attend a court, to be on Elysium, to interact with all of those other beautiful monsters that you interact with. You all right over there? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, you, you you all right? You have a little a little seizure there. um but
1: uh let's get into let's let's mourn the loss of some of these characters right i'm just i was trying to think too uh the previous one we went over his laws right we we did we went yeah yeah. okay good good yeah we this gg bro gg
0: I don't really know what that means, but
1: it's a good game for Oh, okay.
0: All right. Well it uh, shows you where I'm at with the hip kids these days.
1: Come on, dinosaur, keep
0: up. So uh, we've uh we've lost a number of Bruja. We lost Neil Graham, Carl, Hank Cave, Saint, Theodore Dooley, Daddy D, uh, Mark Levesque, Frenchie, Travis Fett, but we gained some Nasfer some Nas some Bruja as well. Um, we gained Carlisle and Andre, two of my favorite characters yes, in this they're, book. They're there. I uh, definitely enjoy them. And um, other than that, you know, we still have a lot of the same, you know, Critias sits on the Permagian Council, very potent, very uh, elder Bruja. Uh, Genghis has been upgraded from a caitiff to a Bruja. I, I really appreciate that.
1: Right. They're just updating the storyline behind that.
0: Right. Um, as far as the the caitiff are concerned, uh, just the same. Just two caitiffs, Maldavius and Dicky. Uh, and we got uh, Jasper Krevitz, Raymond Wallace, Victoria Longwood. With the exit of Loden, the caitiff were never on good terms in Chicago. <laughs> but uh, it seems like perhaps we've got some new arrivals, uh, some people coming in that uh, maybe they're not as concerned about about Loden anymore, uh, running them out of town. The Gangrel clan, uh, we actually we talked about the Archons, uh, The uh, the Archon pack of Gangrel, and they actually lost, I believe, two of their uh, it's it's on here just Jackie Goodman, but uh, I I was under the impression that there were more to that uh, that group. The um, the Wolf Pack, the Wolf Pack, yeah.
1: Um, well, I mean, the important ones, I mean, they got all three right,
0: Tyrus, Ramrod, and Dread, yep. Uh, let's see who else. Um, a couple of new Malkavians have come to the city.
1: Uh, but I mean, were you, were you looking to put in there? Cause honestly, those that you mentioned, I think there's one or two, they're not Archons. They're the only Archons or those three mentioned.
0: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, just looking at the characters that have, have gone, um, we did lose a number of Malkavians, I believe four and we gained two and the two that we gained uh bronwyn corbin and brian right that little coterie of oddness
1: it's uh, it's, they're an awesome addition i mean the story of those three i don't want you to think that okay cool they finally got some elders in the mount caving clan that can run that clan's never been like that no if you're looking for the politically minded that's maureen right Mm-hmm. that's the one who tried to, tried to take over the city by having the cow kick over the lantern to set the city on fire. Yeah, and we
0: talked to her ag- about uh-huh. her at great a, length in the previous and one. And her
1: <laughs> cow was named Sun. We'll just leave it at that. That's the name he has, because he's sick and twisted. But we're talking about Corbin and them. Now, they're all three lineage-related. Uh, Brian embraced uh, Brownwin. Brownwin embraced Corbin. Brownwin and Corbin have a tied mortal history, where in court they tried to outdo one another in a very romantic ideal fashion at the short to shorten the stick brian suffering from bouts of great manic depression uh was on one of his walks. and this is all in scotland by the way which is how they met um he was in- he was inspired by her sense of loss and kind of kind of suicidal to be honest that he would he would make her as he was right because it gave him something i <coughs> highlight this because this character brian is very much an elder and every aspect of the way they describe him existing to exist and being in love with life, and he lived simply, and he loved Scotland more than anything, uh, because not because Scotland the politics or nothing like that. It was Scotland the land. It's just gorgeous, and it gave him peace. Seeing her though, pointed out to how isolated he was, and he added her to him. He didn't didn't court her. He didn't like you know. There's nothing. And, and this is for everyone listening who thinks there's some sort of Bram Stoker connection of romance here no he saw her on the shore she repeat visited for a span of a week and then he took her right and made her as he was and in time she learned the years it talks about a few years she got used to the whole idea and she was with him and then goes into how she gets revenge she takes corbin whatever why it's important corbin is where you get the idea of harpy from now, Harpy has been sort of not even really highlighted, but it, she defines it. Because when Brian comes to Scotland, it's because Brownwin came all the way to Chicago. After, they, tra- I mean, they visited, they traveled together um, from, from just Scotland, because Brownwin tried to show him the world. This is yeah. where your romance kicks up. Because he's a, he's a handsome guy, you know, easy on the eyes, but he's still basically an immortal raptor, right? As I like right. to call it. Um, no choice. We remember the undead. Serve me. And and they travel together and they eventually leave Scotland to go to like the Florida Keys to see what that's like and he loves the moonlit ocean at night the warm weather things that Florida can give however he misses Scotland he goes back to Scotland again she goes to the Midwest following popularity and in the Midwest she settles in Chicago now in Chicago she builds blue velvet it's the rival club to the succubus club all the kindred know of it it's an amazing club. It's the second introduction, an introductory club to give you an alternative, but it's totally ran by her. That's her shindig. Built from the ground up to serve the kindred of the city and mortals as well. Similar to the Succubus Club, but the Succubus Club, we know who's there. So they give you a place where you don't have to be. And the importance of Chicago is just that, uh, well, mercantile. Competition breeds success. Right. And if you don't like what's going on at the Blue Velvet, there's a place you can go at Succubus. If Succubus is too packed, Or what have you. There's a blue velvet and vice versa. And you need to know, there's no bad blood between Helen and Brownwin. They don't even know each other. Because remember, Helen of Troy is Portia. Right. Portia's this ties in, trust me, bear with me, folks. Portia's um, iconic at this point. She's hidden herself, or she thinks she's hid herself, as this club goer, just everyone needs to know her, cult of personality. In everybody's business, only seen in the clubs, right. bouncing around, goth attire, pleather, everything else. And really, she's trying to be much younger than she is, clearly. But you can't hide one thing. She has an appearance of eight. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they highlight that in the book. Every elder who glances at her knows she's the most beautiful creature walking. Right no one's more beautiful in her and, there, there's and, and, a damn demon in the book called uh, the succubus right. appearance of 9
0: right it, it, it's the the fantastic thing about this is the picture that they show you of her and it looks like she's trying to be incognito she's got the dark sunglasses on she's got the the long pea coat that's like half covering her face but yet she has an appearance of 8 like and even if she wasn't the most beautiful creature you've ever encountered well, her charisma is eight too. Right. So she just stands there, and you're like, "Oh, that person's really got something going on." She's like, gotta,
1: she's got to talk at least. She got to do right. She carries herself as perfect.
0: The and you know the, we're talking about like degrees of, and we keep going back to these characters, but it's important to go back to them because they are like the spider. Their web right. is touching everything, the, and and that's both her and. Menelee. Now, Menelee is uh, way less hands on because he's not up running around. Because right,
1: he's torpor. Right.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's not out at the club.
1: <laughs> but to, to point out what's going on with the clubs here and why Blue Velvet rose in popularity and is considered by the kindred more popular at this point is because Portia. Right. With her moving about, they don't feel safe. Something's up. They don't know what's up with her, but she's serving someone off. They don't even know if she's a vampire, just different. Right. But every mortal eats out of her hand, and she single-handedly brings in all sorts of talent. On the flip side of this, in the appearance scheme. remember, Annabelle has an appearance of four in the book. And it's considered one of the most seductive creatures walking. That every unearthly pleasure you could ever want is with her. And she can deliver. Then Portia. Right. Four to eight, double, right? How do you... (laughs) You're gonna ask, and I already know this is gonna be said. Well, how would you appropriately portray these appearances? You don't. You no. don't. What it is is an appearance of appearance beyond five, right? And and four would be the best Hollywood starlet of opinion. You five is there is no opinion. Right. That is absolutely the most gorgeous right. creature this is, of this that is sex. An
0: objective uh, b- piece of beauty. Ooh. Right. Not that marginalized people, but it is it is that is an objectively beautiful person.
1: Five is perfection. It does not get better. So beyond five, what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at some creative storytelling. <laughs> right. <laughs> creative storytelling. To me, I always look at it this. Appearance beyond a five means, by physicality, they are everything anyone could possibly want in the form of an Adonis, an ideal, a, a statuesque beauty is what that five, just incredible. Then a six would have to be something like a defined character. Somehow they move beyond that appearance it's, these are the people who you joke around and make statements like, oh, with a wink, she had me. No, she has you at a wink. Right. That's at a six. At a seven, um, you worry about her. You, you fret constantly at what she might be doing or if she's coming to harm or what have you because you don't want to lose that unearthly cause. She draws to you. Right. She's the epitome of every lust you have just on appearance alone. Right.
0: Or, or he. Right,
1: right, or or embarrassment. I'm I'm referring directly to her. Right, And at an eight, it has to be. And the only thing that makes sense to me, at eight, everyone who ever glances at her is simultaneously jealous beyond comprehension, but channels that jealousy into hopefully uh, her allowing you to exist near her.
0: People start questioning their faith.
1: Just having her gaze. Right. Her gaze is there. And you think that's charisma. And yes, it ties into that eight charisma. Charisma is like the magnifier for that. So to me, yeah, she has presence. Does she need it? <laughs> right. Right? I mean, you is can act it, as you want right. to in a rule statement. You could be like, man, fuck that beautiful bitch. No friend is going to agree with you. No. No friend, no enemy is going to agree with no. you. There's nobody. D- this is the woman who turns straight women gay easy right. right and that was at about the 5 caliber right the, so the, 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 the,
0: this is the type of situation where you are in a club and you see her in a club and you've had an entire fantasy about your life with her your death with her you have to speak with her uh you and you don't you you can't there's no possible way you're good enough to ever speak with her to even to to even have a conversation or brush up against her on a subway. You know even doing that would besmirch her. And you go home <laughs> that night and you continue to think about her. And for years. Her memory plagues you, and you try to go places where you think she's going to be, and you never can. And every time you make love to your wife or to your husband, you're thinking about her. This doesn't. This is earth changing. This and is that was like a six, right, right,
1: right, We don't need. We're highlighting, right. We don't know, but get creative, right. With it. like the butterfly effect's another good one. A glance from her <laughs> forces an artist to go home and literally try to build a clothing line that wouldn't insult her. Right. And that's how he becomes famous. You know what I mean? They can't help but... but she pisses excellence. Okay, that's what that <laughs> is in an A. Just the it. It's, it's insanity. But, but that also is a fear. Like, as we're having difficulty to describe what the gods would look like, yeah, here's Brownwin, Highly attractive, very successful businesswoman, but people can relate to her. Right. The human side of you kicks in. You go, when I go to Blue Velvet, man, it's just a happening place. And, hey, the owner, she's super sexy. And a cool lady and down to earth and enjoys talking and she's open and inviting. You know, Portia isn't. Portia's there and looks at you and you hope, please, pretty please say a word. And she just turns her back to you coldly. And you just, well, there's always tomorrow night, right? Right. You're, You're a slave when you go to the Succubus Club. You are family when you go to Blue Velvet in a way. You're just welcomed. And that's the difference, right? Now Corbin, her chilled, does double duty when she gets pissed at Brownwin. She shows up at going to the Succubus Club, and what does she do at the Succubus Club? Ah, she's friends with Portia. You know, you know why? Corbin goes Corbin goes around, and she cultivates these sycophants. Everybody you've ever seen in a goth club always there's always a queen bee, a king and queen goth, and they just have sycophants all around them. People who worship them and think they know what these two want. Now they're usually the best dressed, or most unique, most talented, most artistic, or what have you. Whatever you want to say, people look up to them for whatever reason. But that's who they become, and Corbin's cultivated that that position, that persona, and she becomes it. And because of it, you see your harpy grow, because she every kindred who's ever attended a club, who's ever been in a lease, and that she's been at, is talked about because she can't shut up. She's telling her business, telling stories, but make sure that it's only choice, secrets, and bits to net her control and her influence because to Corbin, it's all about her. And, that's, and unfortunately for the world, that's a very good harpy. It's a very, very good one. But they don't call it harpy. But they don't need to because the way they build her might as well be. And Portia's not going to do that. You're not going to get a 3,000-plus-year-old Methuselah to worry about anything. But she will get that Methuselah to influence the harpy. To come to her club from time to time and let her in on some things. Now, why is Brian into the fray? Brian and Brownwyn are the romance here, and Corbin has been eternally jealous of Brownwyn. And what they're doing is conflict no boredom here. Mm-hmm. In the first edition, you had a bunch of vampires that were here, and all the interest was on Loden versus Gary, Loden versus Anarchs, Loden, 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 Loden. Right in the revised, it's without Loden, what are we looking at? same shit different day except every clan has its own drama and this is the drama for the Malkavians other than psychosis and I think it's very beautiful uh, because there is a sickness in it you know Brian won't kill either one of them can't do it and here's Brownwin who hates hates her own chill that she made because they were friends right and that highlight right there is a stressor for anybody trying to enter the scene and all the primogen frequent these places now What's this mean to you as a storyteller in Chicago by night? Yes, it is your job to come through and piece together these two clubs and what it is in your game. That's if you have these two clubs. And I think you should stick to canon uh, with it because they've done all the footwork again. Right. You can create I've done it. You can create your own NPCs to live and thrive in these environments. Even take canon characters and put your own flavor to them is okay. Absolutely. Because they're already built.
0: In fact, it's as strongly advised at the beginning of the book. You know, they tell you like take this book and you can apply everything that you find in this book to your own city. However you want to do it. You know, we, we follow in, in 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 the line of these books, we're kind of following canon, but you're not behooven to it. You're not beholden to canon. Do whatever you want. Take these concepts, take these characters, make them for your own game. And I'm sure that we've said that. I'm sure we said it in the first edition. Of course we did. I'm sure we did. But in the Uh,
1: second edition, it hammers it home.
0: And as much as I'd love to to take the time to go through every character that's died, I don't really think that it warrants that. No. In this book, it will show you at the uh, beginning of the chapter where it shows you the characters, it'll show you a table. Here's a table of all these characters. Here's where they came from, i.e., who embraced them. Here's the ones that have disappeared. Here's the line. Here's the new ones. You know, take the time, read this book. Uh, Personally, I think all the time that we've spent on it, I think you understand. Like, there's a lot of material in here. It's a 200-page book. Uh, One thing I do want to touch on, though, is the fact that we do have an update to our Sabbat. Since the oh, second yeah. edition, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Philippe Rigaud, uh the, the Sabat member, <laughs> who didn't have anything to him as far right. as what clan. Right. We, well, we've come to learn that he is a gangrel anti tribute. He's. <laughs> oh, he's grown up. Yes, hey. yes, he's gangrel. He's gangrel. And uh, Wendy Wade, uh, we also didn't have any information on her other than she was Sabat Well, she's a Shamase. Oh, so, thank God. Yes. Then we have a nomadic pack that has uh, moved in and. Uh, set up shop and uh, they're interesting I don't know of them being in any other books besides this one no um, but they're an interesting read as far as sabbat packs are concerned and then we get into the others which really we didn't have too much of in the first edition book we have Rebecca the monitor uh, we learn about her and she is a member of the Incanu.
1: all right school time what's mm-hmm. an Inkanu an Inkanu is
0: well, they're a sect of vampires that uh, very little is known about, and for the most part, it's it's understood that they observe. They're, they observe, right? There are rumors abound about them. So
1: there's Rebecca, and Rebecca observes, right? Moving on,
0: right? She's got all the secrets. She's a great—I um, don't want to use the term plot hammer device, but
1: that's what you referred to.
0: Uh, yeah. She then, can't be used. then we have Yarion, who is a he's he's not a servant but he's like the he works for Menelaus he's
1: Menelaus's guy Menelaus almost hit Gokonda, and he did that amongst the native americans and Yarian is a it well he's they,
0: their companion right they 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 don't tell you what bloodline he is he's just a unique bloodline and he has a unique discipline i am not in any way familiar with uh, go for it t- it's called tell i'm not even sure it's t-e-l-l-u-r-i-a-n Telurian. Telurian? Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like a better pronunciation. I'm not sure. It's not something we're going to look up.
1: No, but the, the discipline, long and short, deals a lot with spirits. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. I, I don't know if it's something that uh, you'll find in another book or not.
1: It's off the top of my head. I vaguely remember because you never use it. But that's right.
0: It's it's a I believe there's something in here somewhere about it.
1: And by the way, you should look it up and read into it. If you find him an interesting character. I've never had course to use him. No, but he is a good companion piece. Right. to the overall warring effect
0: um, then we have a follower of set who has since arrived. His name is Marcel.
1: He's a great character.
0: We have a Giovanni who is a, has arrived uh, doctor I'm sorry. Giovanni. <laughs> We're trying. We're doing our best, okay? I make it a personal
1: point. <laughs> Nate, Nate Nessum, I make it a personal I, yeah, point. Yeah,
0: I, I try. You know, you know what? What I,
1: sounds better, Giovanni? No, that sounds like some globetrotting did, did, studying plan. Did we, did, we did we call them Primogen? But yes, we do.
0: Okay. Because sometimes we call them primogen.
1: I interchangeable.
0: Yeah. It, I, I've always felt the same way, but we'll, we'll try to maintain primogen because that is the correct pronunciation, I guess, but whatever. We're from the Midwest.
1: Do you know why you like primogen <laughs> and your brain prime means they're the leader? They're number one. Because I'm, fr- I'm
0: from Chicago.
1: No, they're prime.
0: And uh, I like to use a lot of vowels. Prim. <laughs> they're, I don't, they're primogen? No, they're primogen. They're okay. pr- anyways, <laughs> many apologies. Doesn't matter. Dr. Oliver Gennett. And then we also have a Ravnos, uh, Shijana. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then, of course, we have... Golfora. Uh, yeah, we have uh, Golfora, who is... I've never, ever had the opportunity or desire to use her in a game. You've encountered and, her. And uh, and we were wrong. Her appearance is 10.
1: Oh, 10. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, I've used her. I'm a
0: scandalous bastard like that. She's a demon. So, I mean, where we a- aped over an eight appearance a 10 is just like that's it's you're she's so beautiful you lose
1: your mind i we've we've got no ability to uh we we lack the words right you have
0: an appearance of 10 you get what you want but get a brew high and you beat her up that's all i'm saying she's a demon she's got fives you know she's pretty powerful she's pretty potent but still you know you never would she ain't got 10s i would i would do it me and my coterie of other oh, You
1: said Bruja beat her up. And <laughs> yeah. You said grab her and beat her up? <laughs>
0: yeah, probably not. She's Go a she's a succubus. So, you know, uh, if if ever you have a need for that. And in these early books, there always seem to be at least one demon. Um, at least one.
1: There's reason for that. When you're portraying a world of darkness and you start saying that witches exist, ghouls exist, zombies exist, exist, werewolves, demons are easily in that hat. Mm-hmm. They're Hollywood favorites, the creature features of what you're playing. How you use demons is important, and subtlety is everything. Subtlety. Yeah. It's, it's slow roll. And how I used her, how I used him, our Nate, was real simple. She sold him books. Yeah,
0: I didn't know. Done. I, I, thanks for peeling back the the. Uh,
1: right. You have no idea when you encountered
0: it. Curtain there. Her. Yeah, because I couldn't uh, even tell you.
1: So, but I mean, but I'm telling you, is that that did lead to ramifications. We'll talk probably today uh, mm-hmm. on a different podcast, but uh, that's. That's definitely she was used, and I could tell it was used very effectively. Right, and and amongst other things, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do update naturally. Well, they update the charts, right? Right, people are dead. Who moves up? Who doesn't? Right. Um, honestly, real cut and dry to talk about. It's I mean they did a chart for a reason. It was really right. easy to show. And and
0: this is one of those things again where it's very complex. You you want to read it yourself because us explaining it is just it's kind of pointless. But so, uh, one thing I do want to because I'm going to forget about it. Uh, I don't recall if all of the artwork that's in this book was in the first edition book. A lot of it was. But the artwork that's in here is freaking awesome. Uh, there is so much good artwork. I feel like this, to me, is like the absolute pinnacle of second edition book. When you put it all together, the artwork, the the typeset, um, you know, just the way everything's laid out, it looks fantastic. I think it's a quality, visually quality book.
1: It is a decent book for that.
0: Yeah. So if you're into those sorts of things, like I am,
1: <laughs> uh, uh, me, uh, I leave it to Nate. I'm uh, I am not the artist of the two.
0: Yeah, Bob's like, ah, picture. Okay, moving right along. I'm a man of words. Uh, I, I don't. I'm a man of feelings, emotions. I, yes. I want things that stir my emotions. I don't want to read these words. What are you crazy? Uh, no, it looks like a that's... book.
1: It looks like a good one. And from appearance, you should say that if, all if the pages are there. If you're into the visuals, all the ink is not smeared. Yeah, yeah. Um, they uh, <laughs> have they have great photos that speak a thousand words, but they mean different things to other people when they see them. Yes. So, rather than be pretentious and tell you what I think on it, because Nate puts it better (laughs) when it comes to that, I just you know let him do it.
0: Thanks, dude. Appreciate you. Uh, But uh, then it gets into the politics, and again, this is something you're going to want to read for yourself. We really don't need to go that. I mean, we've already touched on it pretty deeply.
1: We did, but there's a lot more.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more. There's.
1: He won't let me. No. If if you want to if you want to go, you you go. That time.
0: I, I have that time it's called podcast number 2.
1: Podcast number 2.
0: Right. This this we have to establish. This is to review the book. The book is good. We've reviewed it. There's a lot of detail in here that you should read and we don't need to go over each and every detail. But when we do our second podcast, shameless self-plug.
1: I'm not sh- I'm not shackled.
0: Nerd words. Yes, if you want to hear all, all the intricacies and the conversation, this is a city that we've lived in or around uh, our whole, well, my whole life. I've lived here, uh, and we've run games out of this city pretty much forever. Um, as far back as this game has gone, when you go to a game in the area, most likely it's going to be ran from Chicago. So we have a wealth of experience. Uh, detailing this city shameless self plug. If you'd like to hear more, you can listen to our other podcast, which will be posted right around the same time. It's called <laughs> nerd words.
1: So um, real quick though, on, on a review note, I think this book is chock full of content that can more than inspire you. We know from the last one, it's a, it's a quality to have. Um, Cause I told you skip the first edition on the revise. If you're going to have to choose between the two, uh, the first edition lays ground groundwork and has some unique characters, right? Uh, that have died since that edition. Right. Um, however, it does not detract away from the second second edition. In no. fact, this 1993 Chicago by Night uh, Second Ed is desirable for one thing. It begs you to introduce your own flavor yep. if you're going to put the players in because your players can fit in anyone's mix, assist in anyone's plots, and truly be movers and shakers seamlessly. It does a lot of the work for you, and if you need a city to start off on, I can't think of any better one that they've had in print
0: to this point. Right. It is super, super detailed. There's a lot of information here. Now, having said that, I don't know specifically who listens to our podcast, but I've heard rumor that there's going to be a new edition of Vampire the Masquerade coming out. I might say it would be a good book to lobby for a fifth edition. Catch us up. Where are they now? It's been 20 years plus 25 years almost. So I would say if I had any choice in it, catch us up. Let us know what's going on. If you happen to be in charge, those sorts of things. Anyways, um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely listen to our other podcast if you like. We've kind of changed formats. And if you, if you haven't listened to it before, uh, it it gets very difficult to come up with new nerdy things to talk about especially week to week. Not a lot of stuff changes, but it is a perfect format for us to take this podcast where we kind of give you a straightforward review and take that topic that we just discussed today and then continue that topic from a more freeform perspective on our other podcast. So if you like what we do here, check out the the corresponding nerd words podcast, because we're going to get more detailed into, into those topics and uh, you know, listen to us some more, you know, what's three hours if you already listened to an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So next week, what we're going to be reviewing is a little bit different than the books we've reviewed so far. The next week is the book of Nod (laughs) and the book of Nod is not a, there's no rules in it. It is, it is essentially like the Bible of the vampire, the masquerade world. So it's a,
1: it's, it's going to be, it's actually a prop. Yeah. The Book of Nod is a prop, one of the first ones they released um, on the vampire side. They do one for Mage, they do one for Werewolf as well. And the prop is what we're going to talk, a prop is like a, for a set piece, okay? Or for, if, hey man, read this Book of Nod, it's going to tell you all there is about Cain from the perspective of strictly right. in-game canon material. And um, by canon material doesn't mean it's correct, it means that there are people in canon who have mentioned studied it and what happened. Right. It's going to be very good. It's going to be good because we don't have a choice to review that book is not only to read it to discuss specific points, to bring up specific things. And if you were ignorant to the origins of vampires or Cain as a whole, or what it could be, uh, hear our opinion and we hope you respond with your debates accordingly.
0: Yeah, definitely. If you have questions or, you know, yeah, criticisms, definitely keep sending those to our website, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we have some things that we're working on. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy this book as much as we do. And if you don't, maybe you need to get your life together. Anyways,
1: drive through RPG. Yes. Through utilitymuffinlabs.com.
0: At the beginning of this podcast, there was a commercial. Please help us out. Check us out on Patreon, Vampire the Masquerade, 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. Check us out on the website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. We have Amazon links to buy all your books, we have drive through RPG links to buy all your PDFs help us out we'll help you by continuing to make podcasts hopefully you enjoy i watch you being filled. every day additions have been